Hey, what's up? This is Jason. Excited to spend some time with you today. We're on this collection of talks called The Elephant. And the main idea is to talk about topics that the church traditionally ignores. Some of it may be uncomfortable, some of it may be stretching, but I believe it will all be biblically sound and of God and so important during times like this. Let's jump into the message. This week we're going to be talking about an area I actually have a a lady that God is using in amazing ways. And so I want to introduce her in just a moment and let her tell you her story. But I believe that we get honor and glory mixed up a little bit. I've said this before. Glory always goes to God, but we can honor men and women that God is using in miraculous ways, in amazing ways. And and Miss Lisa Mackey is no different. I'm excited for you to hear her story, what she's doing, and how she's reaching a community that the church, the church, has discarded. And we're going to talk a little bit about it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you the way we do at Centerpoint, if you would help me honor and bring up Miss Lisa Mackey. Come on up. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Come on. Now, you're going you're gonna to celebrate her a lot more at the end of our time together because you're going to fall in love with this lady. She's unbelievable. Uh, if you don't believe me, just ask her husband. He, he will agree. Isn't that right? He says amen. First time he's ever said amen in this church. Uh, I want you to hear this story. And, and, and we're going to be going on a journey together. So this is very unorthodox. We don't normally do this here, but that's the whole point of this series is to, to do things and talk about things that the church normally doesn't. So let's start off, Lisa, by just telling them a little bit about your story. Who are you? How did you get here? And what's your journey with Jesus? What's it look like? My journey with Jesus, uh, that's a big, big in. Um, but I'm going to start with actually... Um, or the ministry, the ministry that I'm involved with. Um, what we say at that ministry is say the hard thing first. So I'm going, ahead, going, going to go ahead and do just exactly that. I had an abortion when I was 19. Um, so that is part of my story. The biggest part of my story is Jesus. <laughs> um, so with that, A lot of people will ask, I just don't understand how anybody could make that decision. And I would have to agree with you. I have a hard time understanding what my 19-year-old self was thinking. But I had been on a journey with Jesus to just unpack all of that. Um, And and so I'm going to share with you how I came to that point in my life. And it... um, surprisingly started young because I grew up in California in a um, non-Christian alcoholic home. Hold on. That right there means you were born behind the eight ball, both geographically as well as your, (laughs) I can say that I'm from California, right? Where in California? Orange County. Orange County. All right. So you're one of the Southern Californias, which is, I'm I'm from Northern California. Make sure you understand the difference. (laughs) There's a difference. It's like saying you're an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan. There's a difference. There's a difference. I'm sorry. Keep going. That sounds like my cousins that are from up north, actually. (laughs) Okay. So, yes, um, growing up in that environment is, is very challenging. And 
what it was like was because of having alcoholism in my home. Well, in Cal in Southern California, it is it's very warm, and so often our windows were up in in the home because the weather's great. So, um, and in California, the homes are very close together. And with that, um, with alcoholism, there was a lot of violence. There was at least once a month where there was not violence in the home. I mean, where there was violence in the home. And with homes that close together, there's no way that the neighbors couldn't hear. And, and so, but here's the interesting thing. I was one of six children. And so we would all go outside the next day after craziness had occurred in our home and we would act like nothing had happened, like everything was great and, and nothing was going on. We didn't talk to any neighbors. We didn't talk to aunts and uncles. We didn't tell anybody about what was happening in our home. And in fact, the craziness is we didn't even talk to each other about it. So... Um, that really was where the shame and secrecy was birthed in me, is to not talk about all that. And I knew we, I mean, our neighbors didn't talk to us. They didn't, they didn't say hi. They didn't wave. They didn't even make eye contact. And for the longest time, I thought, they're just not that very nice until I really started, became an adult and started unpacking things in my mind. Now I know. They were terrified of us. I'm sure that that had to, they had to hear the craziness. But here's the thing. I was ashamed of the brokenness in my family. I know a part of me knew that they could hear. So I was ashamed of the brokenness, but I was going to keep the secret. So when I, let me get to how I, the pregnancy and the abortion part. So that, I just needed to give that insight because a lot of people think, Life was great. People just chose something other than life for their unborn child, and life went on and was great but still. That's usually not how abortion happens. So I just want to just kind of set the table for you. Um, don't get, please don't get me wrong. I am not making an excuse. Abortion is always wrong. I just want to tell you that people get to that very dark place for a reason. So I'm going to tell you further the reason. So when I was 15, I had a, um, my best friend, who her mother was a stable human being in my life. Um, she died instantly of a massive heart attack. And my friend and I were at a football game on Friday night, I mean a, ba a basketball game on Friday night, and we came home just on time to see them loading her dead body into the ambulance. One year after that, my, when, this was when I was 16, my 19-year-old brother committed suicide, which just threw a hand grenade on an already broken family. The following year, my alcoholic father died drunk driving in a car accident. And mind you, he was an alcoholic, but he was actually my loving parent. So, that really set the table for a lot of crazy in my head because I didn't know Jesus, and there was nobody pouring Jesus into me. Jesus, California, in California, he's talked about more now. Um, still, not a lot compared to the wonderful Bible Belt here. But then, you didn't talk about Jesus. 
And when I say I came from a non-Christian home, we went to church Christmas and Easter. And this is where it's just kind of crazy, is that two profound holidays, but I never truly understood the meaning of either one of those holidays. So when those three deaths happened, there was nobody speaking Jesus into me, nobody speaking hope and life or anything into me, nobody helping me in a healing process. And so in my mind, in my 17-year-old mind, I went, life can be snatched away just like that. I'm going to live life on full throttle. And that's exactly what I did. I began drinking. I began getting in unhealthy relationships. Um, praise the Lord, he didn't take me down the drug route, probably because out of fear. Um, I don't know. But I, I, I thank him that I, I so could have gotten pulled into that easily. But those two other things were enough. Um, so in that crazy living that I was doing, I should not have been surprised that I would end up pregnant at age 19. Well, remember my two best friends growing up were shame and secrecy. So when I got pregnant at age 19, I was ashamed because I was not in a committed relationship, even though I wanted more. But that guy didn't. He didn't value me, and I was just taking any crumbs that he had for me. So I didn't know my own value. I sure as heck wasn't going to know the value of a child growing inside me. But back to my old friends. When I found out I was pregnant, I went to shame. I was ashamed, and I sure as heck wasn't going to tell anybody, so I kept it a secret. And I still to this day don't remember why I told a lady that I hardly knew and her solution was, you know, you get an abortion. In fact, I'll take you. And so that's exactly what I did. And so I got an abortion. The guy had said, you want me to help pay for it? Which really isn't what I wanted to hear, but I didn't think I had any value to even say anything different. And, and I can tell you a little bit more about that later. I'm, well, I'll tell you now. I mean, honestly, it would have made a difference if he would have said, you don't have to do that. You can do, we can think of something else. And it didn't have to be marriage. I mean, it could, we can find a way to co-parent together. I mean, it would have made a difference. Um, again, but I accept full responsibility. I was the one that made the decision. Um, so again, I had an abortion. I was ashamed of it. And I sure as heck wasn't going to tell anybody. So I kept it a secret. In fact, such a big secret, I didn't even speak the word for 29 years. I couldn't even say the word abortion. So needless to say, I hated election years. I did everything I could to run from that topic. Like, oh, if I even thought the topic was coming up, man, I would find a way to exit that, that conversation. Let me, so that is why we planned this months and months ago. And I had asked Lisa, is this something that we promote that we're talking about? And she said, absolutely not, because the people that need the healing from this won't show up or they won't listen. And so it's kind of something that you almost have to bombard them with because the, the strategies of Satan, of guilt and shame are so strong, but those are not of God. And, and we're going to go on a little bit of a journey here in this conversation, but I want to point out something that's worth 
talking about is this, is that your testimony is probably the most powerful tool for the gospel that you have. You and me and Lisa. And that's the beauty of my Savior is that no, I shouldn't say no one, I don't know a single person in the history of the world that's reached salvation or even healing based upon how many books of the Bible you have in order that you know, or how many of the Israeli kings that you can pronounce their weird names that almost all end in I-A-H, all right? <laughs> but God wants your story. My pastor says he wants to use your mess and turn it into his message. He wants to use your gory and turn it into his story. And that's the beauty of God, is that he wants to take the pieces of you that were once broken, redeem them, and then use those for his glory. And, and that's the story of Lisa. And this is why we're talking about this, is because the church, the church, has done a really good job telling the world what we're against. But we have done a terrible job of telling the, the world that humans aren't our enemy. And that we're not actually against anything other than the devil. We are for people. And and if you consider yourself pro-life, then you have to be pro-whole life, which means that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter even where you are right now, those are the people that Jesus said, I came for the sick. And so if you are pro-whole life, then you have to be pro-healing and pro-redemption and pro-people because that's who Jesus was. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so I wanted you to also talk about the last couple of hours leading up to your decision and then this, and really kind of shine a light a little bit on the strategies of the enemy, of Satan, of how he used that to kind of cripple you for the next years of your life. So, so tell us that. Uh, the, the hours leading up to, um, I, I, I can be honest in saying I don't remember everything. Um, in this healing process, the Lord has given me um, more and more. I remember going to that woman's house and her driving me. Um, and I remember being in the, she waited out in the car. I remember being at the Planned Parenthood and um, being in a room of, of the girls waiting in the waiting room and all of us really, I believe, too ashamed to even look at each other. We did not look at each other. Um, it was pretty quiet. It was very cold in that um, the gal that took the information at the desk was just like, you got to fill this out. I mean, the whole thing, it's, it's interesting because I hear that supposedly um, there's counseling that occurs. I don't remember, I don't know if, I don't know if I just don't remember that or if it truly never happened. In my spirit, I believe it really truly never happened. Um, I don't remember anything being like, do you, or, do you know what you're doing type of thing. Um, so, that I don't remember. I remember being pretty scared um, and just feeling numb. Honestly, I just felt numb. But I think a part of that was I have been walking like a zombie from all those deaths. Like I, it was a numb feeling that I had got actually kind of gotten used to. Um, so that's why I'd say that 
you know, I was even numb to that decision. Little did I realize I was just adding to the death toll, <laughs> in all honesty. What, did, what were some of the strategies of the enemy, of Satan, the next couple of years after that? Why did Actually, you... Actually, have those right here, because I want to make sure I don't forget any of sure. these. Um, uh, well, because if you are out there and do have an abortion in your past, I really want you to recognize this, because this is where he gets you. For one, I didn't, I didn't think I could go to church. I wanted to. Over that course of that time, just so you know, so you understand, I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 46 years old. I'm 59 now. I was 46 years because I didn't think I could go to church. I didn't think God wanted me there, and I certainly didn't think his people wanted me there. Hear that. Hear that. This has to be a place, all churches, that you project this is a hospital, right? This is a lifeboat, not a cruise ship. And I think, I wonder if in different pockets of people, regardless of what they're in, if they feel like we don't want them here or that they wouldn't belong here. We have to remember that because the church has a PR problem. And, and we've got to make sure that somehow we address that. So read what's on your notes. Next strategy, uh, that you're the only one, that you are the only horrible person that has done this. Um, he really wants to isolate you. Um, it, I want you to know, and here's a statistic I want all of you to just absorb. One in three women of childbearing years has had an abortion. One in three. And please understand this. That is not out in the secular world. That is sitting in our church pews. Six out of ten women that have abortions identify themselves as Christians. Meaning they go to church once a month, at least once a month. So one thing that the, the enemy really wants you to think you're one of very few. And so nobody can know. Don't tell anybody because you will lose everything you have if you do. I think about the prophet Elijah when Jezebel spoke to him and he runs and hides and he starts saying all of these statistics of what's going on, and then he says, and I'm the only one left. And it wasn't true because there was dozens and dozens and dozens of other prophets that were hiding in caves, but he had isolated himself and thought he was the only one. And so I think about that. That's what, that's what Satan wants you, you to, to, to feel like. You're the only one. You can't talk about your pornography addiction. You can't talk about your, your drinking habits. You can't talk about your addiction to prescription medication or that your, your marriage is in a season where it's just not good right now. You're the only one. Don't talk about it. Hide it. Isolate, isolate, isolate. Unplug from people that love you. It's the strategy of Satan over and over and over again. What did Adam and Eve do as soon as they brought sin into the world? What did they do? They went and hid. And they said, I hid because I'm naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? More live like more so like who told you that you should be ashamed? Shame didn't exist before that. Now it does. Well, how many more you got? I got to stop inter interrupting. They want to hear there's from you a, anyway. There's just a couple more. Um, actually, 
you said something that brought one to my mind. Now I've lost it. That's why I wrote these down because I wanted to make sure I got them all. Um, oh, well, there is no return. Like as, as far as where I wanted to go to church, the enemy wants you to think that you have crossed a line in which there really is no return. And that is such a lie from the pit. <laughs> and um, and, and sometimes, many, many of us buy into that. And even those people that call themselves Christians, because the, the challenging thing here is we have, as Christians, we have to know that the gospel is true even for this, that it covers even this sin. Because if it's not, if it's not true for me and what I've done, then we are all going up a creek without a paddle. Okay, um, the next one is um, the enemy. This is where the enemy lies to us and also to um, Christians in there as well-meaning Christians and pastors and just people in general who will say, if you know you're forgiven, then forget about it. Well, yes, forgiveness is a huge part of healing, and you need the forgiveness of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you will never heal from this. But healing and forgiveness are two different things. And to say, if you know you're forgiven, then forget about it. Let me help you with that in, in an analogy. When there's addictions, there's 12 steps to healing. And people encourage people to go through that and everything. If you've chosen anything but life for your unborn child, there's going to be at least that many steps. So don't believe that, well, if I can, if I've told somebody, if I've told somebody, then I must be good. That is usually not the case. I have a gal on my team, like, Lisa, I've told people, like, I've even counseled girls on this. But then as we unpack some things, one thing she said is she had never grieved. She had never shed a tear for unborn child. You're probably not done healing then. There's a lot of things that you need to truly go through to really receive the healing that Jesus really has for you. So you gave us the statistic of, of one in three, which is staggering. I mean, that blew my mind. But we talked earlier, and you had talked about that it's more who's affected than just the woman. So let us know. Pretend we don't know anything because we don't really know much. Me. Who else is affected by it, and in what ways? Well, that's so funny because that's actually my last point of schemes of the enemy. And that's because I'm a professional. That's why. That's, that called, is... that's called segue, y'all. Take notes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so the uh, and, and just to, just to give a little perspective on that one and three. Let me help you associate that to a, a even more staggering number. That equates to approximately one million abortions in the United States every year. Every year, which should blow your mind. Um, and actually worldwide, it's somewhere close to 50 million worldwide. So with that, yes, it is not only women that are affected by abortion and um, go on to have struggles and challenges in their life because of it. Um, 
and just so you know what further what further challenge I had in in not only drinking and all of that but I've been divorced twice came to know the Lord and then he sent me the most amazing husband um, who'd known Jesus for 10 years which is almost comical here I am 46 and he'd known I mean he had known Jesus since he was 10 so <laughs> very two very opposite differences but the people that this affect is also men because if there is that many women, there are men that are wounded from abortion. Because there are often times that men will push for the abortion or they're completely passive. They will say, you know, whatever you, do, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. God created men to be providers and protectors. And if, they're, if that's their words, first of all, pushing or saying whatever you want to do, I'll support it, that's not protecting and later on, it hits them. Oh, my goodness, I did not protect my unborn child. Or they didn't have a voice in it at all. They didn't want the abortion. And so it, the reality hits them that they were unable to protect their unborn child. And that brings a lot of pain. And often men in that category carry a lot of anger and mistrust, not even realizing that all those years that it linked back to that one thing, they go on to get married and they bring that anger and mistrust into their marriage because they haven't dealt with it. So you had talked about there are a few other people that it could affect as well outside of the immediate party. Who are some other people? Bring awareness to this. There, there are the aunts that drove, the cousin who um, gave money, <laughs> um, the best friend who drove. There's a lot of people that are just on the outskirts, but also involved. And now um, go, oh my goodness, I, I should have told her, no, we can, let's, go, let's go talk to somebody. Let's, we can do something else. And now they too feel guilty. So... Now, give us the good stuff. Tell us about your salvation experience and what happened when you met Jesus. And then we'll unpack the healing process in a minute, but I want to hear about your salvation experience. My because salvation It feels experience. like it's impossible and it would never happen, <laughs> which is exactly when Jesus shows up. So yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing. Okay, so I did. I relocated from California. I, I used to actually work for Nissan. Um, and when they reloaded, re located headquarters from LA um, to we first went to Nashville I came with that move and um, I had brought a teenager what was which was the hardest thing I've ever done as a parent is relocating a teenager and but I was just trying to make sure that he was settled and making connections and I asked, also I had a college student who came and he's a big Mr. Adventure so it wasn't any big deal to him but I, it hit me six months into this move like I've been so worried about them I haven't made any friends like I need some friends because a small portion of us came out here that were from L.A. So I thought, I need to connect. So I got involved with my son's um, high school football team um, and just went, I'm going to find out, you know, what's the booster club and what's going on. So I connected with a gal um, who said, yeah, meet me for coffee. She, we exchanged emails. Meet me for coffee at Starbucks, and, and I'll talk about how you can help. 
So I was like, okay, great. So that's what I did. I met her. We talked about different things in the program. And when I left that meeting, and I would cry. Okay, I brought the tissue because I loved it. I left that meeting, y'all, with, and I'm from California. I say y'all all the time. Anyways, um, <laughs> sorry. It's called assimilation. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I met that lady, and I walked away from that meeting, and I said, whatever that girlfriend has, I want. She never spoke a word of Jesus to me. But everything about her oozed Jesus. And her and her friends started what one of the husbands ended up affectionately naming the Holy Hens group. <laughs> That's our new connect group. <laughs> Um, and we just, we moved it from each one of our homes. Every week we'd have dinner and study the Bible. And um, it's so funny because I was like, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> you know, want to come to our group? Sure, I'll do that. You know, I'm just trying to make friends. I actually started going to group before I started going to church. Um, but then I did eventually start going to church. And, um, and, well, needless to say, I came to know Jesus through that amazing group of women. Um, and, and I will never forget when we got to it, because the first thing we studied was Luke. When we got to a part in Luke where I know they were all watching, trying to figure out, is she saved, is she not saved? I think back on that day and answering questions. But this is where I want you guys to be honest because I did I was honest I said I don't know anything like I didn't grow up in church and you know I know nothing but I did go to church they knew I went to church to Christmas and Easter so trying to figure out is she saved is she not saved does she know who Jesus is well I answered all the questions sure I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin sure I believe that he died on a cross I really had no idea what that meant I said all the right words that I had heard I had no idea the depth of everything that Jesus had did, which is just insane, isn't it? Um, but, you know, they just, they loved me. They just loved me through. And, you know, I had an encounter with Jesus in my own home by myself when none of them were there. When I was in, I had been going to group. I was about ready to step into sin again. And this is the Holy Spirit. He spoke because he had me pray, Lord, don't let me mess up again. And he didn't. And my whole life changed that very day. I felt his presence in my home. I was by myself. But man, that for the first time being alone, I did not feel like I was alone. And I have never felt alone since. And it's so funny because I haven't told this part of the story in a long time. Um, it's so funny because I really didn't realize that was the day I got saved until later. Um, because I remember, I remember just dropping to my knees in my hallway that day, um, asking him, just don't let me mess up again. And he stopped me. And I remember saying, 
if you just hang on to me, I will hang on to you. When you think of the moment of, of Jesus' baptism, it's when God speaks and he says, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, well, of course you're pleased with him. Your son's Jesus. My kid's not. <laughs> but that's before Jesus ever performed a single miracle on earth. And, and I think that is the blueprint. I, I, I just want to go back and hover over what she said is the blueprint of reaching the world is not your knowledge. It's the same as God said, this is my son. So right away, Jesus belonged into a family. He said, whom I love, so you're accepted for wherever you are, and whom I am well pleased, saying, God loves you. And, and the, the algorithm of her salvation was first a person inviting her to coffee and just doing life together. Wherever you are, your job your kids, it, it all started at a, at a kid's sports event. I just spent the weekend at a kid's sports event. Wherever you are, like you are there to create relationships for God, for the kingdoms, kingdom work. But we get so sidetracked making a paycheck and checking off the boxes of what we're supposed to do that we may miss out on hurting people that are right around us. And if we believe that Jesus changes everything, I find it interesting that most of the time when God wants to speak to someone that doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them, he has to use other men and women. For instance, this, if I wanted to, to no, I'm not going to do this, so calm down, Jeff, but if I wanted to bless Jeff, like God said, you know, I want to bless Jeff with $100. I, I assume that $100 isn't going to fall like manna and he's just going to, God's just going to make a $100 bill land in his life. Now, he could. But he's not. What's he going to do? He's going to speak to other brothers and sisters, other children, and say, I want you to go give Jeff $100. So when God has to bring blessings to people, he often goes through people. So here's my question for you, Lisa. What can the church do better to reach this demographic of people that honestly we've kind of failed, we've kind of let down, we've, we've put them in darkness and shunned them and, 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 and really helped the secrecy and the shame. What can the church do better to reach a group of people that all have this common denominator? Because just being broken is a prerequisite to needing Jesus. So we've got to figure out how to get that message to the world and fight this PR problem that we have. What can we do better? Absolutely, and I, I love this question because um, when I go and speak at women's events and things, this is what I'm challenging them with, and this is what I'm challenging you all with. One in three, one in three women. You yourself may not be post-abortive, but you know somebody that is, whether you know it or not. You are having coffee with them, you are working with them. They are sitting next to you in this church pew today. You know somebody. It's impossible with the statistics of one in three for you not to know. And here's the interesting thing is since I've been doing this and people confide in me about their story, I just it's something I just automatically do now. I look around the room and calculate, and it is always one in three. It's staggering. So the reason I tell you that is 
be the safe place. Don't be the place of judgment. I get that it's hard to understand how somebody made that decision. And you could not possibly beat them up any more than they've already beat up themselves. So tell, this is what the challenge is. Bring it up. Do I get that it's uncomfortable to bring it up? You bet. But you know what? I never thought I'd be talking about it in front of everybody, so you can get used to it. Just get, get, get used to being uncomfortable. It's okay. Because here's what you don't want. You do not want the people that you love suffering in silence. Because it is affecting their lives whether they realize it or not, it messed me up in more ways than I could ever tell you until I received healing. You don't want that to happen for them. So be the safe place. Bring it up in your circle of friends. You know, I just, I would hate for anybody I love to be suffering in silence. So please know, you can confide in me. If this is something that you've done, know that I can't help you, but I can direct you to somebody that can. And tell them about Deeper Still. But tell them, encourage, like, I'm not going to judge you. I've got stuff in my life. Hopefully we all have stuff. I mean, there are some people that don't, and that's great. But then you can also say, you know what? Praise the Lord, he saved me from a lot of stuff, but I still have a heart of compassion for those people that have had stuff. Be the safe place. I can't encourage you more in that than anything. These people know that they need to be able to tell somebody. Here's the thing, you know, I there's a part of you, even though you put it somewhere really far back, there's a part of you that knows you did something not great. Otherwise, what, I, what really started hitting me is, why am I editing out this part of my life to myself and everybody else? There's a part of you that knows but you have no idea who you can go to, who's safe to talk to, who can help you unpack this. Be the safe place. That's what the church can do. The other thing, the big thing that the church can do, as you heard earlier, my upbringing was really kind of crazy. I didn't know I had value. There's so many women and men on my team. They didn't know their value. Poor, and I, that's why I loved walking in your children's ministry, pour into the young people. If you're not serving, serve with the youth. These young people need to know their identity in Christ. They need to know their value. That's what's going to prevent them from making this decision in the first place. So how are we going to end abortion it is not going to be at the political polls. It's going to be God's people. Wow. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Just so you know, Jesus didn't speak English. Not even King James. 
Jesus most of the time spoke Aramaic. And that word forgive in Aramaic is interesting. Write this down. I'm not even going to pretend that I can pronounce it, but it's S-H-A-V-A-Q. S-H-A-V-A-Q. That's the Aramaic word that he used for forgive. You actually see it a couple times in Scripture show up. They're normally words in red. And Jesus said this, forgive them, Father. And what that implies is it's an actually an action verb, and it has no ending and no beginning. And what it is is it really implies this idea of divorce, an eternal separation. We view our sin being forgiven as kind of it's expunged from your record or it's transferred from this to that. But the reality is, is what Jesus did on the cross actually divorced it in which you and your sin no longer have any sort of connection whatsoever. And the beautiful part and the depth of Scripture is, is that that verb wasn't a one-time thing where forgive them. It's ongoing. And so even right now, the words of Jesus echo of forgive them, Father. Forgive them, Father. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, is so that your sin could be separated. So we're approaching the runway, meaning we're about to land this plane. I want you now to tell us a little bit about your healing process, but I think that it's also tied into now what you do. So you heard her reference Deeper Still Ministries. And, and when we post this online, it's actually already on our Facebook feed, but later on, we'll include the link to her organization. And what I'm going to challenge you to do, whether you're watching now, whether you're in this room, is throughout this week as we post this, because this will go on YouTube, this will go on our different social medias, to share this. Because you may not know who you're ministering to just by simply sharing it. And, and so that's something as a church that we're not super great at, but I'm going to challenge you to make an effort to do this. It's going to be uncomfortable, but the word has to get out, the word of Jesus. So tell us now about your organization, what you do, and how you help that healing process. Okay, real quick, my healing story was I didn't. I tried to not think about my abortion. I put it way back in the attic because if you think about it, then you actually might have to feel, <laughs> and then you'd feel the pain. Um, so I didn't, and I went to a women's conference, and um, the speaker, it was a healing part of the of the conference, and the speaker said, if there's anything you want to lay down at the cross once and for all, um, just put it on this piece of paper and tack it to the cross. Well, it's crazy. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's working, because I didn't think about my abortion. Um, but in that conference, I did. The first thing that came to my mind was my abortion. So I wrote it super tiny on this piece of paper because I didn't want anybody to see it. And I tacked it to the cross, and I kept looking back because I was terrified it was going to fall down and everybody was going to see it, which didn't happen. But then for the first time, I went to the altar and wept for my unborn child. Here's the crazy thing is I was in Ohio and, you know, we had a, like a seven-hour drive back and I went with like seven other women, never told those women for that whole drive back what I was weeping about at the altar. That's how, that's how much the enemy wants. But you know what? When I wept at the altar, I felt the presence of Jesus. And this was two years after I found him. Um... So this was two, two, I mean, two years, two years into my journey. And so that was the first piece of my healing. And um, the next thing was 
um, a situation. It was it was just an interesting build up to this. We had cardboard testimonies at my church um, not long after. Well, when I came back, actually, um, my husband and I were not married at the time, and and I knew I knew I was going to need to talk to him about this, and so. But I thought. He's known Jesus all his life. He needs to know who he's getting married to. I have to tell him. And I thought, this man's never going to want to see me again. Um, but that's not that's not Jesus. And Jesus is in him. And so when I told him, he said, that is not who you are anymore. Can I borrow that tissue? <laughs> No? Okay. I can't ever tell that part without crying. <sighs> okay. So that was so that was a piece of my healing. So get to the next thing. Um, when we were going, you know, I, I began going to the church that he goes to in our town that he was we were going to in our town and um and we were going to do cardboard testimonies. And a friend of mine, we were trying to get a point across with our church that, that things are not statistics. They are real people. For example, divorce, addiction, alcoholism, abortion, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we're thinking, oh, so-and-so can hold this. Side. Well, I never said abortion. She did. And I just, like, went right on with the conversation. And then, um, so we're like, oh, so-and-so can hold this sign. So-and-so can hold that sign, blah, 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 blah. And, and she was a pastor's wife. And, and and so um, she, she's got to abortion goes, well, I know there's a couple gals in the church that have had abortion, but they will never hold this sign. I said nothing. And I just sat there. And finally, again, the Holy Spirit has been relentless with me. Can I just say that? So then the Holy Spirit said, speak now. So I said, you don't have to ask anybody. I will hold the sign. And so she looked at me, and, and just after that, grace and mercy just poured out, and she was just so kind. And so there I was. The I planned to take this secret to my grave, which if anybody's planning on that, it's a really stupid idea because it's too heavy to carry. Um, so there I sat in our church holding up this sign that said abortion on it, you know, but then we have the other side that says it worked healed and set free, right, or in the process of healing. But here I sat with this abortion sign in front of everybody in our church with just tears streaming down my face. So then that was the next step of healing. Fast forward to the pregnancy center in our area. I had kept saying, I'm going to go volunteer there. I'm going to go volunteer. And finally the Lord in various ways made me go. And so I went and I thought, well, um, you know, I'm going to volunteer, and they said, well, okay, if you've had an abortion in your past, you have to, you have to do a Bible study, um, and so I did. I, you know, I spoke to the director and told her that I did have an abortion. I did this Bible study, and it was a first layer. It made me think about some things that I had not ever thought about, um, or I really blocked but then from there, I wanted, then, then the Lord led me that I was going to actually be a client advocate for gals that were in the um, decision-making stage of an unplanned pregnancy. And I thought, well, goodness gracious, I don't process everything the same way as other people. And I just don't want to take um, any of my own junk into the counseling room. So I had heard about retreats, um, but I didn't know much about them. So I asked the office manager, and she told me about Deeper Still. So I went um, to a Deeper Still. The home office is in Knoxville. I went to a retreat, a healing retreat, and 
the Lord met me there in more profound ways that I could ever put into words and absolutely transformed my life. Um, just changed everything and went from not being able to not speak about it um, to speaking about it in front of thousands of people, actually. My Bless my husband's heart. I, I mean, I tell complete strangers that I've had an abortion because I never know if it's somebody. I mean, literally, there's a place where we went to get pizza one time, and I and the conversation took a turn about our ministry. And so I said, and I said, well, I had an abortion when I was 19. And the gal across the counter welled up with tears and said, and she looked around, none of her coworkers were around. She said, that's my story. And so I was able to slip her our card and information. But you'd be amazed when you get your voice back because the Lord wants you to have your voice from the, all the time that the enemy has strangled you from it. How he's going to use you to help somebody else. So your organization, Deeper Still, Upper Cumberland? Yes, we are UpperCumberland.org. Right, yes. And so you guys put on retreats and send people, and does it, what's the cost for the family that's going on the retreat? That is the beauty of it. They are absolutely free because we don't want anybody to have a reason why they cannot receive healing. They are free and confidential retreats, and they go from Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock until Sunday at noon. And we, in fact, are so excited because we have a healing retreat this coming weekend, this Friday, this Friday is a retreat. We're very excited because this is what I want you to know is there are some people that come with a measure of healing. There are some people that have never spoken the words. So there's a vast range of who is coming to receive healing. Again, men and women. We have uh, men, their lodging area is separate from the women, but we have men minister to men only and women minister to women only. Um, but in saying the vast, um, you know, degrees of healing, it's called deeper still because the Lord meets everybody exactly where they're at and goes deeper to where he wants to take them. And the, and the beauty, what we love about this ministry is we get this much time to know their story. But the Lord knows it from beginning to end. And so it truly is him. Like there's some times where they go and spend some time just alone with the Lord. He can only know what needs to be done. So we literally feel like, because people try to thank us, and like, trust me, we're not. We literally set the banquet table and step back and see what the Lord's going to do. And it is just so amazing and beautiful to see him show up in different ways every single time. So that's what God wants to do. He wants to use your story, no matter what it is, to bring healing to other people. That's the pinnacle of the power of God, is not to make bad people good, and it's not just to forgive your sins. That's the entry level to Christianity. What, what's the pinnacle of the power of God is that he can literally make beauty from your ashes. And so Lisa and her team have a table out in the lobby. She's got different types of books and references for various stages and various walks of life. You can learn more about that ministry. And also, like, so she puts the retreat on for free, but it does cost money. 
And so what I'm excited about as a community of believers, we have such generous people here that we as a church have actually put together a sponsorship for someone, for a family, for a weekend at your retreat. And so, yep. So if you've contributed in any way to this church, that's part of your blessing as well, of literally changing the world for Jesus. I'm so grateful for Lisa and what she does. Again, more information at deeperstilluppercumberland.org, O-R-G. And if you want more information, you can see her out in the lobby. If you want to get connected with Lisa, if you're watching online, again, we have the link to their website that you can go right to and find out more if you want to contribute to their ministry in any ways. And so what I want to do is, is I told you you were going to love her so much more on, on, on the back end, is I want to honor this lady and her husband and what they do for the ministry. So if you guys would stand down here, we're going to pray over you as a community of believers where you are, just reach your hands out. But if you guys will come down here right now, but first of all, will you honor Lisa Mackey and all she does? Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Thank you so much. I really am so very grateful for this opportunity, Jason. Absolutely. I really am. All right, if you'll come up here. You're glad you came today. You're left looking like a million bucks. <laughs> if you'll reach out your hand as a community of believers, and let's pray for them. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for my brother and sister in Christ, and that they are a walking testimony, God. I pray for deeper still Upper Cumberland Ministries, God, that you will continue to pour your favor upon them, Lord, and that long after everyone in this room is gone, that ministry is still going. That ministry is still reaching people, God. I thank you for the bravery of this woman, God, this mighty warrior for your kingdom, Lord. And uh, I just thank you for her, for her team, and just again pray that your blessings will pour all over them and splatter all over the people that go in their past, God. As we believe, God, make us have eyes to see the hurting people that are around us, Lord, and help us to let the world know that you love them, that you accept them, and that you want a relationship with them, God. I thank you again for the Mackey family and for Deeper Still Ministries, and all God's people say, amen. Come on, let's celebrate one more time. We really enjoyed spending some time with you today. If this message impacted you in any way, let us know. We want to hear your story. You can contact us at centerpointtn.com. We can't wait to hear from you.